You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Right now, let's bring our hearts uh, to before the Lord one more time in prayer. Lord, we come before you, uh, Lord, because we're going to open up your word. And Lord, we would never want to open up your word without saying, Lord, would you help us? Would you speak to us? Lord, we open up your word because we want to know you. And we know that the volume of the scripture, all of the Bible, speaks of you, Jesus, and, and your person. So, Lord, help us to understand you today. Help us to grow. Help us to put away all our preconceived ideas that would hinder growth and allow us to uh, just hear what your spirit would speak to your church today. For we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you will, open up to Matthew chapter 16. And find your way to verse 21 as we are going through the Bible verse by verse. Matthew 16, 21. If you need a Bible, the ushers are in the aisles and they'll give you one. And you'll enjoy the study much more if you have a Bible in your hands. To set the stage of where we're going, again, I love teaching through the Bible verse by verse because we get the whole counsel of God's Word. But to kind of set the stage for where we are, here's what happened last week in case you missed it. Jesus asked the disciples the most important question that could ever be asked of anyone. It's a question that he asks every person who was ever born. And here's the question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? He asked the disciples. And the disciples, oh, they gave some answers. Oh, some say you're, you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're the prophet that Moses spoke about that's to come. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Who do you say that I am? Not who does everybody else say I am. Who do you say that I am? And Jesus is asking us that question as well. And we answer, not so much with just our words, but we answer with our life. Peter responded, and he said, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Peter nailed it. Peter gave a inspired, spiritually inspired answer. His answer is two parts. Don't miss the two parts. Number one, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah that was spoken about from the beginning of time. You are the one that was prophesied from the beginning of time. From the pages of Genesis, way in the very beginning, all the way through all of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, on and on, all through the scripture, you are the Messiah, the promised one, the one that uh, was foretold. You are God's anointed. Secondly, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Very different answer. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're also divine. You're also God. You are God in the flesh. And Jesus said to Peter, Wow, Peter, way to go. 
loose paraphrase. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is the Holy Spirit working in your life, Peter. This is the Holy Spirit moving you and teaching you. You didn't get this from human intellect. This is the Holy Spirit revealing truth to you that you could not have otherwise. And uh, uh, Jesus uh, takes this opportunity and he just builds Peter and affirms Peter, brings out the, the best uh, in Peter in this. Uh, Jesus uses the opportunity as a golden opportunity to build up Peter. Not very often that Peter would get an answer right, right? Uh, uh, normally would uh, put his foot in his mouth and give a, a lame answer, but this time he nails it and Jesus says, Peter, you're learning how to be, you're learning how to hear from the Holy Spirit. You're learning how to walk with God. You're learning how to be led by the Spirit of God. Way to go, Peter. Way to go. And Peter uh, is told by Jesus that this foundational truth is the foundation that the church will be built on. Jesus tells Peter, Peter, way to go. Uh, Amazing. And then he says... um, That all authority of the kingdom is given to him. He tells him that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom. On this foundation, I will build my church. What foundation? The foundation of Jesus being the Messiah, the promised one. The foundation of Jesus also being the Son of God, God in the flesh. On this foundation, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he gives him authority. He says, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And here's what he's saying. Peter, uh, Jesus was giving Peter not the power to forgive sin, but the power to proclaim the terms on which sin is forgiven. And he's given all of us that same authority. We know that when we come to someone and we say, Hey, listen, if you believe in Jesus with all of your heart, that he was God in the flesh who died on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that his righteousness could be given to you, the beautiful gospel message, we have that authority to know that God will say, Yes, that is the... That is the foundation the church is built on, and I will honor that. And if someone uh, 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 professes faith, you can let them know for sure that they have salvation and eternal life and an, an inheritance waiting in heaven. So uh, <clears throat> that's where we pick up our story today. And now we pick up in verse 21, and read for me, if you will, the first three words of verse 21. What does it say? From that time... From that time, Matthew takes a transition in Jesus' ministry right here. And he says, hey, Jesus shifts his ministry right here. There's a change. The last time Matthew used that verse, uh, for that phrase, excuse me, from that time, was in chapter 4, verse 17. And it said, from that time, Jesus began to teach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, from chapter 4 till chapter 16, that's what the Jesus has been teaching. That's what it's all been about. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now there's a shift in Jesus' ministry, a major shift. And Jesus now teaches his disciples about his soon coming death and resurrection. Let's look. Let's see what he says. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Underline the word must. This was God's will. 
This wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a bad thing that happened. This was God's will. And Jesus was going to walk in it perfectly. He must go to Jerusalem. Very interesting here. Jesus, he gives very specifics. He he details very uh, specific things about his crucifixion. He says it's going to be in Jerusalem. Notice that. Uh, Very specific. Not random. Not just anywhere. It's going to be in Jerusalem. And I'm, I'm going to suffer many things from the elders. The elders were the Sanhedrin. The group of 70 elders that led Israel in the spiritual matters. I'm going to suffer many things from the elders. And from the chief priests and the scribes. Yeah, they're going to torture me. They're going to beat me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to... Uh, put a crown of thorns into my head. He's telling them the things he's going to suffer in their hands. And I will be killed. And I will be raised the third day. Here Jesus gives uh, not Nostradamus a far off kind of uh, uh, illustrations of his crucifixion. No, he gives very detailed prophecy here amazing prophecy that he gives. It's going to happen in Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed by the uh, religious leaders. They're going to go against me. They're going to punish me. And then I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to resurrect on the third day. Very powerful, detailed, accurate prophecies. Jesus had spoke of of his death and uh, resurrection before, but always in more obscure terms. He would say things like, as Jonah was three days in the grave, so the Son of Man, excuse me, three days in the, in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days in the grave. Uh, okay, but what does that exactly mean, right? It was more obscure. Uh, he uh, spoke to Nicodemus and he said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Okay, we know in hindsight that's crystal clear to us, but for them maybe not quite as clear. Here Jesus makes it vividly clear, and from this time on he's making it vividly clear exactly what's going to happen. Let's look what Peter does with that revelation. Verse 22, then Peter took him aside took Jesus aside, pulls him apart from the other guys, and begins to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this shall happen to you. But he, that's Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Wow. What do you think happened to Peter's face when Jesus said that? Oh, wow. What just happened? What just happened? Jesus is giving incredible detailed prophecies of his death and resurrection. And the disciples can't hear it for some reason. Peter can't hear it for some reason. There was no ambiguity in what Jesus just said. It was detailed. It was specific. But Peter cannot hear it. Why can't Peter hear it? What's holding him back? Well, there might be a few things holding him back. Uh, One of the things that might be holding him back 
is his own preconceived ideas. Things that he was already holding on to. Uh, The disciples clearly didn't understand Jesus dying and being resurrected three days later. They didn't understand that. Why? Well, because they thought the Messiah was going to come and rule and set up his kingdom. They thought the Messiah was going to make their life easier. They thought the Messiah was going to take away all their problems. They thought the Messiah was going to get them out of debt and make their life easy. And a lot of times we come to God with that same mindset. God, just make my life easy. That's what I think you're about. That wasn't what Jesus was about. He did not come to make our life easy. He came to make us holy. Big difference. Big difference. And so because they had this mindset of what the Messiah was going to do, this didn't compute with them. Even though Jesus was very specific and clear, it did not compute. Uh, they, they weren't understanding. Uh, Mark's gospel gives us, a, uh, uh, on the same story, uh, gives us a little sliver of a verse that gives us more detail. Mark chapter 9. Look at this on your screens. Let me hear you read this. So they, that's the disciples, kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Same passage of scripture, Mark gives us a little instruction. They didn't have a clue what he meant that he was going to rise from the grave on the third day. What are you talking about? Well, why didn't they understand? Well, again, preconceived ideas hindering their thinking. Sometimes our preconceived ideas about God are the biggest stumbling blocks to God revealing himself to us. They had a preconceived idea of what the Messiah would do. They also had a preconceived idea about the resurrection. They thought the resurrection was at the end of time. That God is going to resurrect everyone at the end of time. Uh, But they never thought that the Messiah would be resurrected because they never thought the Messiah would die. They thought the Messiah would come, set up his rule, set up his throne, rule and reign from Jerusalem uh, for the millennial kingdom that was promised in the Old Testament. That uh, God would set up shop in Israel and all nations would come to the Messiah in Israel The Messiah bodily, physically ruling and reigning from Israel. And all that is going to happen. But it's going to happen when Jesus returns. Not at his first coming, at his second coming. And they had it confused. And so they're confused here. And to the disciples, Jesus' crucifixion seemed far-fetched. They didn't grasp it. Another thing contributing was, uh, well, it just didn't look like that's the way things were going. Jesus' popularity was growing intensely. I mean, multitudes were coming out to him. They were sure he was going to set up the kingdom at any time. He had just fed 5,000, then he just fed 4,000. All kinds of sick being brought to him. Those who were lame, those who were crippled, those who were, who were maimed. He would heal them. They would walk. They would be a picture of what Jesus does in our life. He takes the things that are lame. He takes the things that have been maimed. And he makes us whole. And he causes and he brings us back to life. This is what Jesus does. And they were seeing his popularity and how he was growing and all that was going on. And they said, surely he's going to set up his kingdom now. 
But what they didn't realize was that the persecution of the religious leaders was going to grow incredibly intense over the next few months. We are now in this chapter where we are from this time. We are about six or seven months away from Jesus' crucifixion. Probably seven months away from Jesus' crucifixion, best we can tell. And what's going to happen is the religious leader's opposition is going to increase radically and the crowds are going to become fickle. Their enthusiasm will fade and their zeal will turn into apathy and the hostility of the religious leaders will increase and they will crucify Jesus. I want to move on in the text, but before I do, let's take a look at just some real simple, quick, fast application points. One, we can see that our, preconce- our preconceived ideas about God can definitely hinder our personal growth, our faith, our, our maturity, our spiritual maturity. Our preconceived ideas can hinder us. We need to let God be God and we need to let Him uh, lead us and, and uh, not bring our preconceived ideas, uh, keep them from allowing us to see what God is really saying. Secondly, uh, we need to see that uh, the, crowds aren't always the, the, the crowds aren't always the one to follow. Even though all the crowds are going after Jesus right now, these same crowds will be the ones that say, crucify Him, crucify Him. And popularity is not always the thing that reveals God is moving. Just because Jesus was getting popular doesn't mean that this was uh, the crowds were in tune. They weren't. And so we want to be careful. We see these things here and we see some things from Peter that we're going to learn too. Here's another thing we can learn and apply. Peter was thinking too highly about himself. And because he was thinking so highly about himself and because he had these preconceived ideas and because he thought he knew and understood, it kept him from really being in tune with what God was doing. Peter, thinking too highly about himself, rebukes Jesus. Crazy. Can you imagine someone rebuking Jesus? Can you imagine? And think about what Peter said. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. That was just a few sentences ago. And now he's rebuking Jesus. Well, you can't be the Son of the living God and being rebuked. The two do not go hand in hand. Right? Not possible. And we learn something from poor Peter. Look at poor Peter here. He just went from a mountaintop experience with Jesus. Right? Whoa, Peter, way to go, way to go. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. Peter, you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, way to go. And Peter might have got lifted up with pride when that happened. Guys, did you hear what Jesus said about me? That's right, I gave the right answer. That's right, he called me Petros. He called me the the rock, right? I mean... And he might have looked over at the other guys and kind of snickered a little bit and said, I wish you were as spiritual as moi. (laughs) And Peter gets lifted up with pride. Peter began to think he was super spiritual. Peter began to think he was a super Christian. 
And Peter had a problem that many of us have when God begins to use us. Often when God begins to use us, when he begins to bless us, think about it. He takes us and he saves us. We were living amok. I mean, we were just wretched sinners running our own course. I remember when I was and God got a hold of me and my life turned around on a dime. Jesus saved me. I wasn't born in, I'm born, I wasn't raised in the church. Um, uh, we didn't grow up with, uh, I had no knowledge of Christianity and I got saved at 24 years old. And at 24 years old, my life just changed overnight. Bam, radically different. And Jesus saves us. He reaches us where we are. And when he reaches us, here's what he does. Look what just happened with Peter. He says, Peter, way to go. And he says, I want to use your life to build the kingdom. And he invites all of us to that very thing. By the way, the question that he's asking all of us is, who do you say that I am? And if we say he's the Messiah and he's the son of the living God, that only means then that I owe my life to him. This world is not about what we should eat, drink, and wear. There are bigger things at play, and I am his servant. He created me. He redeemed me. Here I am, Lord, reporting for duty. That's what that means when you answer that question. And if you answer it any other way, then, Lord, here's my life. Take it. It's yours. Use it. I've been bought with a price. I want to glorify you with my life. If we answer any other way, we're not answering he's the Messiah and he's the Son of the living God. But something happens when we answer that call. God then invites us, he saves us, cleanses us of all of our sin, makes us holy, gives us his righteousness. It's an incredible gift. And then he calls us and he says, hey, now I want you to walk with me and I want to use your life. And maybe he uses each of us differently. He says, I want you to start teaching Bible studies. I want you to start praying for people. I want you to give away all the things I've given you. I want you uh, to be a person who has wisdom and discernment, who can speak truth into people's lives when they're confused. I want to use you to be an encourager. I want to use you to be a helper. I want to use you to be an administrator and to help organize things. And he takes all of us and he says, hey, I want to use you. I want to start using you to be a builder of the kingdom. I want to use you to be builders of men and women. Do you know that's what Jesus is calling you to do? Do you know why we call this church the mission church? It's because we all have a what? A mission. And the mission field is right between your own two feet. Wherever you're standing. When you go, or, or, when you go to Starbucks uh, and you go place your order, guess where you are? Where are you? You're on the mission field. And so... You begin to embrace your mission and the gifting that God gives you. And you start using it. And you know what? God uses you. And the moment he starts using you, do you know what happens? We think we're something amazing. Oh my gosh. Did you hear how I sang today, right? I mean, it's all about, I mean, look at me. And we move, look at poor Peter. We move from being, way to go, Peter. You're in tune, you're hearing from God, to what? Get behind me, what? Satan? Get behind me, Satan? How did that happen? How did that happen? Question, why did Jesus say, get behind me, Satan? Isn't that a little harsh? 
Could have he just said, hey buddy, you're off track? He could have. He could have, but he didn't. And he didn't make a mistake. Why did he say, get behind me, Satan? Any ideas? Why did he say, get behind me, Satan? Here's why. Because he was talking to Satan. What? Huh? How? Peter, getting full of his own greatness, now became an instrument he didn't even know who was using him. Satan was using him. You see, Jesus began his ministry, and when he began his ministry, he went to the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. And during that 40 days, what happened when he was fasting? Satan came and tempted him. If you really are the Son of God, he gave him three temptations. The third temptation was the strongest and the biggest and the most tempting, if you will. Uh, it was this. He took him up to a pinnacle and he showed him in a moment's time all the kingdoms of the world. This is something outside of the physical realm. He took him into a spiritual realm somewhere and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms, what does that mean? It means every kingdom from that time on. What does that mean? It means he saw Nero. It means he saw, you know, all, all, all three. He saw Constantine. All the kingdoms, on and on and on. He saw President Trump. From, from Nero to Trump, he saw them all. And whoever, out, you, know, you know, Biden after. And he saw all of them. And he offered him this. He said, hey, I will give you all of these kingdoms if you will bow down and worship me. What was the temptation? What was the offering? You can be the king of kings, just like you, I know you came to be, and you can do it without the cross. Think about how much better, this is going to sound, don't write me off as a heretic until I finish this, okay? <laughs> Think about how much better the world would be if Jesus would have took that offer. Thanks for not walking out already. But it would have been a lot better. You see, think about all the evil kingdoms of the world. The kingdom like Hitler, like Pol Pot, like the Khmer Rouge, and, and on and on and on we could go, right? All these kingdoms, the kingdoms of genocide, right? All of those would have not been that way under Jesus' leadership. And the earth would have been way, way, way better. A godly king. A selfless king, a real king, wisdom and leaders, leadership from the throne. Amazing. Why didn't he do it? Here's the problem. We would have had a better life, but we would have been dead in our sins. When we died, we'd be eternally separated from God. And so Jesus said, no, 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 no. I don't want the kingdom without the cross. I'm going to go to the cross first, and then I will come and proclaim my my kingdom. Uh, in Revelation 19, we're going to see that. We're going to see it uh, here if we get to the text in time. We'll see it more today as well. Uh, but <clears throat> the scripture says this. It says, then Satan left Jesus for a more opportune time. And now Peter in his flesh, guess what Satan found? A more opportune time. 
Peter, now being used by the enemy to bring a temptation to Jesus to say, no, 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 no cross, let's, no way, I'll never let it happen. And he rebukes him. Uh, very, very interesting. Very interesting. When we believe that we are good, that we are spiritual, that we are God's person, that we are just better than everybody else, our failure is imminent. We will get so caught up on our flesh uh, that we are just, our failure is imminent, just like Peter's was there. I want you to know this. Every man that God uses is sinful to the core, me included. Every man God uses is sinful to the core. We may pretend otherwise, but if we do, it is downright delusional. It's delusional. We have a sin nature. The Bible is very clear. It says there is none righteous, no, not what? One. That means you. That means me. There's none righteous, no, not one. And here's what happens. When God begins to use you, people will appreciate it. They'll recognize it. They'll see it. And they might try to elevate you. And you might what? Like it. Don't forget this truth. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so uh, the Bible's clear on this, this, this point, right? It says we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellence may be of God and not of us. The Bible tells us that the Spirit is, is actually doing battle with us. The Holy Spirit is actually, uh, well, the Bible puts it this way, the flesh lust against the Spirit and the Spirit lust against the flesh. These two are contrary to each other. And we have to die to our flesh. And Jesus is going to take us into that in just a little bit. Um, uh, but uh, we, need to, we need to be aware that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Peter lost sight of that right now and he's rebuking Jesus. What a big mistake. And look at Peter's life. I mean, led by Jesus, Peter and the disciples were amazing servants of God. But led by their own ideas, they were sinful men who were just blowing it. And again, the same is true for us. And I, uh, I have a slide for you. Put that slide up for me. Led by Jesus, we live extraordinary lives to the glory of God. Led by our flesh, we fail miserably. So true. Led by Jesus, we live extraordinary lives. I mean, think about how the apostles were used. Peter, I want to use your life. I want to transform your marriage, Peter. Peter, I want to make you an amazing father, Peter. Peter, I also want to use you as a leader in the church, and I want you to build my kingdom. Uh, I, I'm going to use you to, to preach sermons. I'm going to use you. Thousands are going to get saved through you, Peter, through your message. And led by Jesus, the disciples lived extraordinary lives. Led by our own ideas, we fall miserably. It's only as we abide in Jesus that we can live the lives that Jesus wants us to live. Oh, I only wish, I only wish that somehow I could illuminate to you the life that God is calling you to live. Oh, if we could only see it, right? It would be like, oh my gosh, you had plans for me that were way bigger than any plans I could have ever asked or hoped. I mean, just amazing. <clears throat> and uh, uh, in order for that to happen, we have to abide in Jesus Christ. 
Um, let me ask you this. What is this right here? We've got this branch, right? Uh, how many of you think this branch is ever going to bear any, any leaves again? <laughs> think it's possible? I don't either. Why not? It's been removed from the tree. It's been painted with glitter. Uh, it's, it's trying to make itself look pretty because it's dead. And that's who we are apart from Jesus. Jesus says, unless you abide in me, you can't bear any fruit. I have that verse for you on your screens. Look at John chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Uh, <clears throat> let me hear you read this, church. Let's read it out loud. One thundering voice together. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Is that pretty clear? Peter, stay in tune with me and I'll use your life for amazing things. Get filled with your own fancies. Get filled with your own flesh. And you will be as dead as that branch. Let's go on. Let's see what else he says. Yes, I am, read with me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Last word is what? Nothing. Nothing. Do we believe that? Because I think we think we can do a lot without him. But he says, you can't do anything fruitful without me. No good fruit will come. And we see it so clearly on display in Peter's life. Led by Jesus, he was living an extraordinary life to the glory of God. And now led by his flesh, he's failing miserably. And oh, how quick it can happen. Can you imagine a student rebuking his rabbi? Can you imagine? It would have been unheard of in that culture. Today, it's not so unheard of. People rebuke leaders all the time, right? Uh, the kid gets in trouble and the teacher gets in trouble because the kid's in trouble, right? That's how it works. The parents go in and the teacher's in trouble now. Uh, uh, they rebuke the rabbi all the time. But in that day, it was unheard of. It was unheard of. Peter rebuking his rabbi. And it reveals two things. Number one, it reveals what we already illustrated Peter's self-righteousness was pretty high right now. Peter was just thinking too high of himself to think he could ever go and correct Jesus. He should be learning from Jesus, not even thinking about correcting Jesus. But secondly, you know what else it reveals? It reveals the humility of Jesus. Jesus was friends with these guys. Jesus hung out with these guys. Peter felt so comfortable with Jesus as a friend that he went somewhere he should have never gone. And we want to be careful there because, yeah, Jesus is really close. Uh, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. But may we never forget that we are servants, right? He invites us into a close, intimate relationship, and I'm so thankful for it. And it's amazing. But may we always have reverence as well. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, when you pray, remember to pray this way. Our Father that art in heaven, what is that? Oh, that's a close, personal, intimate relationship. A friend. But also, our Father that art in heaven, but also what? Holy is your name. Both are true at the same time. So we see Peter full of himself, and we see the humility of Jesus. And uh, 
uh, Peter move from being led by Jesus to being led by his flesh. And look what Jesus tells Peter. It's in uh, verse 27. Actually, I put it on your screens. Look what he says. He says, you are an offense to me, Peter. Imagine Jesus. What do you think? When I, what happened to Peter's face when Jesus said, Peter, you're an offense to me. Oh, man. I love you, Jesus. I mean, I've, been, I've never been loved by anybody like I've been loved by you. And, and oh, those words must have just wounded his soul. You're an, you're an offense to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God. You're led by the desires of your flesh. Jesus tells him in verse 23. Wow. You're not led by the things of God, you're led by your flesh. And because of that, you're an offense to me. You're in my way. This was a big problem with the disciples. Their flesh was always getting in the way. They're led by the flesh. And may I say, it's a big problem in Christianity today as well. Instead of being led by God's word, we get led by our own ideology. Instead of getting led by God's word, we get led by popular opinion. Instead of being led by God's word, we get led by emotion. Instead of being led by God's word, we get led by our lust and our appetites and our desires. And here's what Jesus says, you're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're led by your flesh. You're not led by me. Peter was certain he was right. Jesus, your suffering and being killed by the religious leaders could not be part of God's plan. No way I'll let that happen. We want you to live forever, Jesus. We can't wait for you to set up your... And Jesus says, you're an offense to me. You're in my way. What do we learn from this? Well, one thing we learn is that Jesus' ways, Jesus' plans are so far above ours. There's no way that Peter could have understood this reason he needed to go to the cross. He couldn't understand all that yet. He wasn't mature enough spiritually, but he will in time. And the same is true for us. God's ways are so far beyond us. The Bible says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, in other words, as the stars in the sky are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And so oftentimes we don't understand what God is doing and so we try to move God and to make it make him fit our ways. Uh, it just doesn't work. We think we know what's right. Peter thought he knew what was right. And we do the same thing. We thought we knew who should win the election. And Jesus says, "Hey, my ways are different than your ways." We thought, you know, hey, uh, Lord, I didn't think I'd still be single at this time. I thought I'd be married by now. Hey, my ways are different than your ways. Hey, I thought I'd have kids by now. I can't believe I still don't have kids. My ways are different than your ways. Hey, I thought I'd have two kids. I never dreamed I'd have five kids. Hey, my ways are different than your ways, right? <laughs> Surprise. And we have to get our preconceived ideas out of the way in order for God to really be able to lead us. Uh, this is why Jesus tells us that we have to deny ourselves to follow him. Look what he says in verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him, read the next two words for me please. Deny himself. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. 
How many of you like to deny yourself? None of us. None of us. And yet Jesus said, in order for me to lead you, it has to happen. Jesus is teaching us something. Jesus is teaching us that following him is actively pursuing his will above our will. You want to follow me? You want to receive all the great things I have for you? You want to walk in the fullness of life that I have planned for you? Great, I want that for you too. Now you have to deny yourself. And you have to put my will ahead of your will. Your will ahead of my will? What does that look like? Well, it means that you can't always fill all your appetites at the moment you want them. It means that sometimes you have to have discipline. You have to deny yourself and put God's desires above your desires. Notice what he says. He's used some very uh, uh, pointed language here. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross. A cross was an instrument of death. It would be like saying, take up an electric chair. Yeah, we know what that means. We have to die to the desires of our flesh that we might walk in the will of God. And following Jesus is actively pursuing His will above my own. And for, something, for that to happen, something has to die. What has to die? My, my will, my flesh, my preconceived ideas. My, I have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Take up your cross uh, one of the other Gospels adds the word daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not a one-time deal. Yeah, I became a Christian one time and now, now I'm a Christian forever. No, no, no. Take up your cross daily so you can follow him. There's a daily denial. Sometimes it's hourly. Someone says something to you. You want to give them the what for. You got to take up your cross. You got to say, hey, no, no. I want you to know your cross is not your mother-in-law. Your cross is not an illness you have. I have total you know, respect for dealing with illnesses. I know it's hard. But that's not your cross. Your cross is not your spouse who drives you crazy. Your cross is not your neighbor. You know what your cross is? Your flesh. Your will. You have to have it your way. That's what we need to kill. It's not anything else. And Jesus says, if you do that, I could lead you powerfully. You could ask, why would anyone want to deny themselves? Why would anyone want to take up their cross? Well, look at why. Look what he says. Verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. That word lose, by the way, it could very accurately be translated ruin. Whoever desires to save his life will ruin it. That word is also used and translated in your Bible, destroy. Whoever desires to save his life will destroy it. Does that make sense? This is why Jesus says it's good to take up your cross. If you're good to, desire, to deny yourself. Because if you, if you are the king of your own life, here's what you're going to do. You're going to ruin your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know what? I have found that to be true. Denying ourselves to following Jesus really does lead, really does bring an abundant life. I have found this to be true. 
Uh, Thanksgiving Day, I had a marvelous day. It was amazing. It was my birthday uh, on Thanksgiving. And my wife surprised me, uh, made me breakfast. And then she goes, hey, I got a surprise for you. Get in the car. Get in the car. We go down. She takes me to the pickleball courts. Woohoo! And who's there at the pickleball courts? All of my kids. And my daughter-in-law and my daughter's boyfriend and all, everyone there. And she's rented two courts side by side for, you know, just tireless pickleball, right? Woohoo! Amazing. So much fun. And then we come home after pickleball and we come home to a Thanksgiving meal. And before the Thanksgiving meal, we did what probably you all did. As I said, hey guys, uh, look at this food. Look how, look how blessed we've been. Hey, before we eat, let's just take a moment and let's go around. And will you share what you're thankful for? And each one of my kids began to share. And as they did, my heart began to melt. Each one of them, without exception, I have four kids. Each one of them, I'm so thankful for my family. And what my family means to me and and all four of them the same thing and i'm sitting there and i'm thinking lord you are incredible i know what i would have done with my life i would have run after a million lust a million other loves a million other things i would have destroyed all of this a million times over only by walking in your ways has all of this come into fruition lord your word is so true he who seeks to find his life will ruin it well i just gotta find me i just gotta love me i just have to find myself you're right there And it's ugly, by the way. So learn how to deny yourself and walk in God's path and watch Him bring you an amazing abundance. Yeah, you can clap for that. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to know, I'm not boasting in anything I've done. What I'm trying to say is, this is what a train wreck will bring when you submit it to Jesus Christ. This is what a sinner will have happen to them when they send their life into Jesus. Put, their, put that previous slide back up for me, Well, If we follow Jesus, Jesus will do amazing things with our life. This is what will happen. And this is what he's promising us. This is what he's saying. He's saying whoever desires to save his life will ruin it. You'll destroy it. But if you were willing to deny yourself and lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. And again, I just tell you, I have found that to be true over and over and over again. Look what Proverbs 3 says about it. I'm running this poor slide girl, which is my daughter, by the way, ragged this morning. Uh, Read this with me. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. Look at that. If you get the wisdom of the Lord that He wants to impart into your life, it will require you to deny yourself. But if you gain that wisdom, the proceeds it will produce in your life are way better than silver and gold. It's just way better. Let's go on to the rest of the verse. 
She is more precious than rubies, that wisdom, that godly discernment, more precious than rubies. And all the things that you may desire in life, everything that you want, that new Tesla, the house in Rancho Santa Fe, the, the tummy tuck, whatever it is you want, nothing can compare with her. Wow. This is what Jesus is trying to, why should I deny myself? Here's why, he says, it's amazing, and I want this for you, he would say. Uh, a parallel verse, Psalm 119, verse 72, uh, just says it so simply, so succinctly. Uh, let me hear you read this. The law of your mouth is better to me than millions in gold and silver. God, your word is way better to me than millions of dollars, because your word actually gives me life. Your word actually builds a foundation, a house that's worth living in. And this is what's required. Jesus says, I look, I have great things for you, but you've got to let me lead your life. Verse 26, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? The Greek word there for whole world is cosmos. Jesus used the word cause. What, what gain is it if, a, if, if, what profit is it if a man gains the entire cosmos? Can any of you gain all the wealth in the world? No. You, 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 we struggle for just a sliver of it. But here's what he says. What good does it do even if you gained all of the wealth in all of the cosmos? And loses his own soul. What good is that? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Great question. Great question. What will you give? What are you giving? Jesus is saying your soul is more important than the cosmos. Your soul is more important than all the wealth in the world. Your soul is the most important thing there is. And this only makes sense. The logic behind Jesus' teaching here depends wholly on the existence of life beyond the grave or it doesn't make sense at all. And the Bible repeatedly teaches that there is life beyond the grave. And Jesus is saying, he says, hey, your soul is going to live forever. And even if you do gain all the wealth of the world, and you won't, but even if you could, what good will it do if you don't have eternal life? In the grand scheme of things, what will it do? Riches and power cannot secure eternal life. And without eternal life, all the wealth of the world is futile and damning. May we be wise and may we be careful. Jesus is saying this. He's saying eternal rewards are given to those who love and serve Jesus. That's what he's saying. Take a look at this. What good is it if a man gains the whole world and loses a soul? What will a man give in exchange for a soul? Look at this. Verse 27. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will come in glory. Not now, Peter. I'm not sitting at my kingdom now, but I will come in glory. The glory of his Father with all of his angels, and he will reward each one according to his works. I want to draw your attention to one word there. It's a word that we don't really like in the church anymore. He will reward each one according to his what? Works. Wait a minute. According to his what? His works. I thought we were saved according to grace. Are we? Well, what does this mean then? 
Here's what it means. We are saved by grace. All by Jesus' doing. It doesn't matter how wretched we are. We come to Him. We say, Lord, I believe You love me. I believe You left heaven and became a man. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that who would ever believe in Him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. If you haven't done that yet, just call upon Him now. Let us know. Tell us. Give your life to the Lord. Don't wait. Don't pass go. Don't wait till tomorrow. Just... Because here's what happens. The moment that we say, Jesus, I believe you love me that much, that you died on a cross for my sins, he gives us eternal life as a free gift, freely. No work, nothing. But now that he saves us, he says, I've got, I've got work to do. We've got a kingdom to build. I want to use your life. And there are great rewards for those who will lay down their desires to allow God to reveal new desires to them and to follow His ways. He says, I have eternal rewards for those. The Son of Man will come in His glory, the glory of the Father with His angels, and He will reward, reward each one according to His works. He gives these rewards, these eternal rewards, not to the powerful, not to the educated, not to the beautiful, not to the popular, not to the wealthy. He gives them to the faithful. And they are available to all. And I want you to know, in this life, riches and power, they're all fleeting. They're all fleeting. They're all temporary. Even if you uh, amass a ton of wealth, you're only going to live 70 years and you'll go all through eternity separated from God. But there are great rewards to those who walk in faith and say, Lord, I want to use my life to serve others. I want to tell people about your greatness. I want, to, I want my life, Lord, to be used. I want to live like you did to serve others and to bring them closer to the knowledge of the Father. Uh, Lord, I want to use my life that way. I want you to lose my, use my life that way. Great rewards are given to those who do. I wish we had time to go into what the Scripture teaches about the rewards that come uh, in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a chapter you might want to study on your own. Paul brings it out very, very amazingly, very profoundly. I'll give you an interesting insight to it, just a glimpse. Not everybody gets the same rewards. Everyone is rewarded according to their faith, according to what they did with what, uh, what God gave, them, gave us. And we're not all going to receive the same resurrected bodies. Paul, in teaching on the resurrection, the, the Corinthians asked him, he says, what kind of body will we get when we're resurrected? And Paul says, well, <clears throat> uh, to teach them, he said, well, uh, there's the glory of the sun, there's the glory of the moon, there's the glory of the stars. And each one differs in glory. There's a glory of, uh, there's different kinds of glory in, in human, in uh, physical life. Uh, there's a fish, there's an ant, there's a snail, and there's a bear, and there's a lion. There's a dog, there's a cat, right? Each one differs in glory. What has more glory, an ant or a lion? Not a trick question. <laughs> 
right? What has more glory, a snail or a dog, right? Not a trick question, right? A dog has way more capacity than a snail. A lion has way more capacity than an ant. Not a trick question. Paul says there's also a glory of the stars, the moon, and the sun, and each star differs in glory. And the stars differ in glory from the sun and the moon. And right, each one differs in glory. And then you know what he says? So also it is at the resurrection. Wow. Each one is going to be rewarded based on what you did with your faith each and every day of your life. And we'll all be saved, but we'll all be given different rewards. Oh, may we be using it to the glory of God. And may we not be so caught up in what the flesh wants, but instead maybe realize what Jesus is doing here. Here's what the disciples did. Ultimately, they forsook everything, and they were knuckleheads just like you and I. We see it, right? I mean, but look what happened. Look how the Lord used Peter's life. Look how the Lord uses the disciples' life. And they are no different than you. They are just individuals like you and me. And if we deny our flesh so that we might follow Jesus, he will use our lives just powerfully to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. We'll stop here. We'll pick up next... Well, actually, not next week. Next week, we're going to go into the Christmas series. Uh, But right now, we'll prepare our hearts for communion. And uh, we'll pick it up here when we uh, finish our Christmas series. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and to lead us in song. Uh, I have one more verse that I'd like to put on the screens for you if I can. Uh, As the ushers get ready to pass out the elements. Uh, Speaking of the resurrection, right? Daniel chapter 12. Take a look at this verse. Let me hear you read this with me out loud. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. Some... To shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, let's no, go back one second. Uh, some, those who sleep in the dust of the earth. He's talking about dying. We're going to die. And we're going to awake. Awake, he's talking about resurrecting. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. Let's go on. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars forever and ever. What's that? Daniel teaching? Oh, there's rewards. Live your life well. Well, that sounds like works. No, 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 no. We're saved by grace. And we're invited into a relationship with God. And God says, I want to use your life powerfully. And when he does, he says, I've actually got rewards for you that you just are going to boggle your mind. And for all eternity, you'll have them. For all eternity. How amazing. The Bible tells us that we're so blown away when he gives us these rewards that we throw them down at his feet and we say that we're not worthy. Uh, Lord, I just did what I've, I'm just a miserable servant, just doing what was my reasonable service. And uh, he gives them to us anyway, and they're ours for all eternity. This is your God. This is your Savior. This is your Creator. And right now, we remember how we made all of this possible by going to a cross for us, by taking our sins on his back so that we wouldn't have to uh, uh, be separated from him, but we could come into fellowship with him. And every time we mess up and uh, we get used by the enemy, we can just say, Jesus, cleanse me. And like Peter, we're cleansed and we're brought right back on track. 
you may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.